Welcome to A Fostered Life, the show in which we explore the various facets of foster care through the voices of the many people who participate in the system. I'm your host, Christy Tennant Crispin, and this is episode 25. If you happen to follow my YouTube channel, you may have seen last week's episode, which was entitled Five Facts About Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorders. If you haven't had a chance to watch that yet, I encourage you to check it out because it'll give you some background on the topic that we're going to be focusing on in this episode, which is FASD. Natalie Vecchioni is an FASD parent advocate, a podcaster, author, and most importantly, a wife and homeschool mom of two. Natalie and her husband, John, built their family through domestic adoption, and their son, who's 19, lives with a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. He has graduated from homeschool, and he's a part-time carpentry apprentice, and their typically developing daughter is six, and they have a much different adoption journey with her, which I would love to talk to you about that in another episode because uh, that, well, anyway, let me keep going, as they are very close with their daughter's birth mom. Natalie turned her family's unique challenges and journey with FASD from career reinventing into a calling when she and her husband began FASD Hope in 2020. And today, I'm delighted to be speaking with Natalie Vecchioni. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Christy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and thank you for being my very first video podcast guest. Those who have been listening to the podcast are used to just having the audio available, and then it flips over to YouTube with just like a boring picture. And now (laughs) you're going to get to actually see us in action. So um, this is exciting, and I appreciate you being willing to be that first trial um, doing this. So No problem. um, Natalie, before we kind of get into your personal story, I would love if you would give a brief overview of FASD, maybe for folks who didn't catch my video or um, who just need a reminder of what we're talking about when we say FASD. So I have to say, watch Christy's video about FASD because (laughs) she was on point. Thank you. FASD is a term, it's not the actual diagnosis. It's a term given to the disabilities that are caused from fetal alcohol um, spectrum disorders, prenatal alcohol exposure. The exposure to alcohol is um, the leading cause of developmental disabilities in the Western world. Mm-hmm. Um, FASD is kind of like an umbrella. We, the way we talk about FASD is very similar to autism spectrum disorder, where there are multiple diagnoses that fall under that FASD umbrella. Yeah. Um, and in, again, in your wonderful video, you mentioned them, um, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome, which is what most people think of when they hear fetal alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, It is the most severe. However, um, it is definitely not, um, it it, shouldn't be what people only think of when they hear, you know, the terms fetal alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, Fetal alcohol syndrome, partial fetal alcohol syndrome, um, alcohol-related birth defects, neurobehavioral disorder associated with prenatal alcohol exposure, or NDPAE, and then alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder. Because of the nature of alcohol, um, again, and I I think this was fact two in your video, alcohol is the most um, harmful of all of the illicit elements that can be exposed to a child, illicit drugs. And alcohol, not only does it permeate and, you know, destroy brain cells and crosses the limbic system, but there are over 400 um, comorbid medical um, diagnoses that are associated with having prenatal alcohol exposure. Wow. Wow. So when people think that, um, you know, people think fetal alcohol, you know, a, a couple of misconceptions, usually they think of, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome, which again is just one of many. Mm-hmm. And the facial characteristics of uh, alcohol exposure only happen during, I believe it's days 17 to 21 or 23 of pregnancy. Wow. So if a birth biological mom has has had a drink or has had consumed alcohol either prior to those days or after those days, there will be no uh, none of those facial characteristics that we associate. Wow. I didn't know they had it pinpointed to the very very, time. Yeah. It's a very short, brief period of time. Um, and it's usually, of course, most women don't even realize that they're pregnant at that stage. So 90% of individuals that have an FASD do not have those facial characteristics, which is why it is the most undiagnosed, misdiagnosed Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. underdiagnosed of all the developmental disabilities. Like, 
your video said again, FASD is preventable. It is a preventable developmental yeah. disability. Yeah. Um, however, there are many, first of all, if you ask 10 different OBGYNs, is it safe to consume alcohol during pregnancy? You're probably going to get 10 different answers. Yeah. Um, so there is, there's still a lot of misconception out there, even though the CDC, you know, the um, Associate American Academy of Pediatrics, so many organizations say no alcohol is safe during pregnancy. Yeah. And that's what we know. And that's what one of the many things we're trying to communicate um, yeah. to anyone out there, you know, yeah. if yeah. you are even considering getting pregnant, you know, whether you're married or if, you know, yeah. you're just, of you know, of an age of, of getting, um, getting pregnant, do not consume alcohol. You know, yeah. um, yeah. there are so many, if you couple, there's some statistics, especially since, um, COVID, you know, Drinking in women um, who are uh, uh, maternal age for for you know having a baby has increased. I believe the number was this was November 2020, like 41 percent. I believe was the one study found. And then we know that about 50 percent of pregnancies in the United States are unplanned. So mm -hmm. it's uh, it's really a public health crisis within the you know within this, you know, pandemic. Right. Um, wow. So, so uh, the other thing that um, I really, I, that has hit home for us that we really try to communicate about FASDs is it looks different in every individual. Mm. Um, and FASD for, you know, some individuals, they may have more medical issues for other individuals. They may have more of the neurocognitive issues, but again, a lot of factors impact how alcohol affects an unborn child. The prenatal care, just amount of alcohol consumed, you know, um, when it was consumed, a lot of other maternal factors um, mm -hmm. and paternal factors. There are actually studies that are showing that paternal drinking affects, affects wow. sperm and affects, um, yeah. And wow, I had no idea. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. Those, those studies are, are out there. I can give you some some links to um, to share. But yeah, there are there are studies um, linking paternal drinking with that is um, something. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. With, with development. So between your introduction just now and my video, I feel like we've given some of the kind of the facts behind it. And I would love to get into personal stories. Um, I know that in your work with FASD Hope, you have gotten to know a lot of people over the years who, um, who, deal, who are living with FASD or who are raising children who are living with FASD. So I'd love to, I'd love to ask you some questions that kind of you know, are, are kind of for people listening in who are wondering what this is like and what they should be looking for. When did you first, I guess this would be where I could start. When did you first suspect that there was an issue with your son and how did you go about getting a diagnosis? I, I will also, well, we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. If you can answer that question first. So it's funny. Um, we've only been doing FASD hope, not even a year. And okay. I've only been a parent advocate for probably about two years, a little more than two years. Um, and I, I like to say I was kind of an accidental advocate, um, mm -hmm. but I know I was meant to do this for a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, so our son was um, considered a special needs adoption because he had medical issues um, at birth, which we later found out were a result of his um, birth mother's drinking and okay. lack of prenatal care. So uh, we adopted him at two and a half weeks old and we were given, you know, specialists for here and there and, and everywhere. Um, and there were kind of questions in, you know, the, the birth records and, and what we were able to get. Uh, but as, so my background, actually, I'm, I'm, I studied music therapy and recreational therapy, and I worked with early intervention for a number of years. And um, as our son grew, when he was very young, when he was an infant, the effects of FASD came out in, in, in these are primary characteristics. He didn't really have good sleep. Um, you know, some, his sleep patterns were inconsistent. He didn't really have good sleep. He had very, um, 
much difficulty with growth and with feeding, and um, that is also a common characteristic. Um, and then he had quite a bit of medical issues. Um, m- the most serious at the time was he had asthma and pulmonary issues, which again we learned were you know attributed to prenatal alcohol exposure. So uh, th- those were you know just things we were on top of. But when he was about two years old. We started seeing the developmental issues, the developmental, what we call, again, the primary characteristics. So we started seeing attachment issues, which we know in, in foster care and adoption, there there are going to be those anyways. Mm-hmm. But we started seeing him regress um, in attachment. We also started seeing a lot of sensory seeking and sensory avoiding symptoms, which, again, is, is a primary characteristic of, of FASD. What really was like the red flag for us was he started having night terrors just before his second birthday. And that, yeah, very early to have night terrors. Generally, usually kids are in that, you know, late preschool, young Mm -hmm. elementary age in, in having night terrors. He was that young. So that was a red flag for us. And uh, the hospital we went to was not able to uh, get us into the sleep clinic. So we went to a different pediatric hospital and we, um, you know, we did a sleep study um, and we came back a couple weeks later. And just to preface this discussion, the whole summer we were seeing these regression, these developmental uh, characteristics, and we, my husband and I had no sleep that summer. Honestly, oh we were we were fortunate if he got like maybe a couple hours a night. So wow. again, sleep yeah. sleep issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but the neurologist who did the sleep study was a teaching hospital, so he came in with a bunch of medical students and interns, and our son was sitting on my lap, and the neurologist didn't even like look at my husband and I. He just looked at the group and he pointed to my son and he said, look at that child. He has fetal alcohol exposure. And let me tell you why. And he just rattled off all of these things. And and my husband and I were like deer in headlights. <laughs> wow. Did not, you know, this was the first time we'd heard that term. Wow. And this was the first time, you know, um, we were told. And so he's So you had not considered that prior to this. It wasn't like you had it in your mind. Okay. Nope, Mm -hmm. not at all. Mm -hmm. And we asked the neurologist, you know, this is the first time anybody has, like, said this. What do we do? And he very flippantly said, oh, just put him in early intervention and he'll be fine. He'll outgrow it. Which we know fetal alcohol, any type of fetal alcohol exposure is a permanent developmental disability. You don't outgrow developmental disabilities. You don't outgrow, you know, brain Mm -hmm. damage and and brain differences caused by alcohol. Right. So we put him in early intervention, but, um, and then, you know, we tried putting him in private school. We just, as he grew more things, you know, came, we acquired the ABC alphabet soup of diagnosis acronyms, ADHD, ODD, just all that list, sensory processing disorder, auditory processing disorder, you know, just learning difference. All of those acronyms of of diagnoses he acquired. Mm -hmm. And every time something new happened, we would, you know, each specialist, which, you know, by the time he was finally diagnosed, probably easily 25 to 30 specialists he had seen, um, my husband and I would bring what bring up what was told to us, and <clears throat> and everybody would say, no, we we don't think that we don't suspect. So that, that was not the diagnosis at two. That's not when he got his diagnosis. So he did not officially get his, and this is why we started FASD Hope. He did yeah. not officially get his FASD diagnosis. Um, he actually was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. He actually had met all of the characteristics. He had met all the criteria. He was diagnosed when he was 15 years old. So for 13 years, he was acquiring, you know, these symptoms, these diagnoses. And it wasn't until he was hospitalized in 2017 when we finally received the diagnosis of, yes, he has, not only does he have an FASD, he has fetal alcohol syndrome. And that for us was such a turning point because then we 
what we we prayed for you know him to be more respectful the behaviors and whatnot and we also noticed that as he got older and um this is a something i'm glad we have video for this individuals that have been exposed to alcohol as they get older um the dismaturity gap which means the the physical maturity versus their their chronological age is up here mm-hmm. and their developmental age is down here when they're yeah. younger it's pronounced but as they get older it gets very pronounced and that's yes. why so many individuals especially teens and young adults fall through the cracks and develop you know secondary and tertiary symptoms because the the world expects so much more and they're not able to keep up because that maturity is not there yeah. So that it was shortly after that we learned about, about and I'm glad you have <laughs> um, video. This book right here um, was a game changer for us. It's called Trying Differently Rather Than Harder by Diane Malvin. And okay. not only did we learn, you know, from that book, but we also took the training. It's facets is is the nonprofit organization, and it is the brain-based um, neurobehavioral model for parenting, not only for um, those affected by fetal alcohol, but with other neurobehavioral diagnoses as well. And when we shifted our, you know, basically our entire lives, when we went from, you know, behaviors and just, you know, all these things happening to, okay, everything has been caused by this prenatal alcohol exposure and, we need to parent it as the brain difference and brain, you know, diagnosis that it is, which means making accommodations, meeting them where they're at developmentally, and nurturing their, you know, supporting their needs, but really nurturing and focusing on their strengths. Because mm-hmm. so many individuals and um, kids, teens, young adults, adults that have an FASD. They, there are parts of the brain that, you know, like our son is a carpentry apprentice and he is also very artistic and he is a whiz at computer coding, which my husband and I still are just like, wow, you know, so just like other um, brain-based diagnoses, there are certain areas that are strengths for those Mm -hmm. individuals. Hmm. So, um, you know, this whole journey we we just really, you know, kind of took a step back and said, what do we want to do? We want to share with other families that they're not alone. And um, the biggest thing, too, I, I'd really like people to, to learn, because this was huge for us, was that we found our best supports from other families who were going through this journey. Hmm. And that's what led us to start FASD Hope as a podcast. I also co-authored a book with um, a fellow mom who also has, um, she has five young adults, three of whom have an FASD. And we talked about our homeschooling journey and how we we did it differently. Um, But really most importantly, to let parents, caregivers, people know that, that you're not alone. And this is much more prevalent than people think. Um, A recent study you know, in 2018 by Dr. Philip May of UNC Chapel Hill. And this is a conservative estimate. And this was a sentinel study that was published in the Journal of American Medical Association. Mm-hmm. It estimates that the prevalence of FASD among first graders in U.S. communities was one in 20. And that was a conservative estimate. Wow. One in 20. Autism, I believe the most recent statistic I heard in autism was like one in 51, one in 54, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Mm-hmm. FASD is the estimated prevalence is one in 20. And again, wow. that is a conservative estimate. Wow. So, um, you know, uh, another thing I'd really like to share with your audience is that there is national legislation that is being introduced now. It's called the FASD Respect Act. H.R. 4151-SB-2238. It is an act, um, it is national legislation to recognize FASD as a diagnosable developmental disability and, and, you know, the diagnoses that fall under the FASD umbrella. 
to provide funds for prevention, for research, for intervention, mm-hmm. and for supports. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's a huge step. And we are slowly but surely getting, you know, legislators, senators, representatives to not only, we already have sponsors, but to co-sponsor and to support it. And mm-hmm. hopefully um, in, in September, yeah, is when it, it will be, you know, there's a summer recess right now. So hopefully in September is when um, it's mm-hmm. been introduced. So it's it's just, you know, uh, will yeah. be yeah. hopefully passed um, very yeah. soon. And that will be wow. a big, big help for so many families. Um, yes. and, and the biggest thing that I didn't mention, you know, both of our children, we adopted our children domestically, but mm-hmm. um, certain populations, I think people tend to think FASD, oh, that's only foster care or, oh, that's mm-hmm. only an international adoption. It's not. It's mm-hmm. it's it's everywhere. It's, you know, mm-hmm. people who are married and have kids who, mm-hmm. you know, Oops, yeah. you know, mom had a glass of wine and, you know, oh my goodness, you know, my kid is starting to have these diagnoses yeah. or, you know, uh, it, it, it happens. And mm-hmm. we want to take away from that stigma of, you know, um, not talking about FASD because, yeah. you know, we talk about <laughs> it's, it's, it's a diagnosis that should not have blame or shame or stigma. Mm -hmm. It should be recognized as what it is, which is a brain-based whole body disability that requires accommodations, interventions, and support. Um, Foster care, the prevalence is very high. It is the last um, statistics I have have heard is 80% of kids in foster care have an FASD. Um, so, and that's another, um, component that this legislation will address too, is, is better diagnosis of youth in the foster care systems. Wow. Yeah. You know, diagnosis is something that I'd love to ask you a little bit more about because I have actually on two different occasions had a child who I suspected, um, had an FASD and I had a really hard time getting them assessed. Nobody, it was as if I was mentioning something for the first time to the pediatricians. Mm -hmm. And I really found that hard to believe because, um, with them being so prevalent and with the knowledge being out there of the effects of alcohol on in utero development, I would have thought, you know, call the pediatrician and say, I would like to have this child assessed for an FASD. I, I have even in one case, I had knowledge of the, the, of the child's mother, um, consuming alcohol while she was pregnant. A cousin of hers, um, who I got to know, uh, told me, you know, flat out that she drank a lot while she was pregnant. And so I had like really good data and I could not find someone who was, um, who, who would do an assessment. So how does somebody go about getting an assessment of a child? So in the FASD community, what is recommended is finding an FASD diagnostic clinic which hmm. there are in the United States. Um, there are, we, we list a f- quite a few of them on our FASDHope.com website. Um, there are other individuals. You can go to the NOFAS, which is the National Organization for Fetal Alcohol. Um, it, it's a, the National Organization for Fetal Alcohol Syndrome. Um, and they list diagnostic clinics. They list um, individuals. The diagnostic procedures and um, the diagnostic um, process can be, it, I believe it takes a few days because there are other disciplines besides the, you know, medical discipline. Um, there are therapists that, you know, uh, psychologists, um, and they assess that child in, you know, many different ways. So I would definitely either um, go to NOFAS or go to, um, you can go to FASDHope.com and we, we share some. Um, unfortunately, it is a long and lengthy, you know, wait for many of those clinics, you know, mm-hmm. um, just because yep. there are not enough diagnostic clinics out there or professionals who are willing to say, yes, I know how to, you know, I, I studied this. I know how to diagnose, um, you know, a child or teen or young adult that has an FASD. Yeah. So um, find find, you know, uh, developmental pediatricians, some are familiar, some are not. Same thing, you know, neuropsychologists, neuropsychiatrists, some are familiar, some are not. So depending on what state you're in, if there's a state organization 
usually they will also have up to date. So not only looking for the national FASC organization, but trying to find the organization in your state that has, um, you know, an FASC, you know, uh, parent support, family support organization. Um, I've, you know, honestly, I've heard word of mouth has been, especially from other parents, has been um, my best recommendations for learning, you know, hey, there's there's an FASD clinic in, in this area. Um, the other thing I would also um, find out, too, is if you live near a university that has a program where they study FASD or do research on FASD, because mm -hmm. they can usually tell you, um, you know, I, like, for example, I know that University of Rochester in New York, Dr. Christy Petrenko, she heads up the FASD Diagnostic Clinic there, and it's fantastic. It's called the Mount Hope Family Center, um, and they they do diagnoses. Um, here in North Carolina, um, Dr. Yasmin Centurius, who's a, a developmental pediatrician, um, she heads a, a wonderful um, diagnostic clinic in Charlotte um, at Atrium uh, Children's Hospital. So there are all-around um, yeah. diagnostic clinics. However, you know, there there, I wish there were more in each state, but um, it's really a, you have to kind of look and find them. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, special diagnosis, I think is important because mm -hmm. it will let you know how your child's brain has been impacted and how their body has been impacted and particularly where he or she needs more supports and where he or she has strengths and, and areas where, um, you know, you, you can really help them thrive in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was, I was interested in the, um, if you go through kind of the list that I mentioned in my video, and it's also on the CDC website, I know of the various kind of signs and symptoms. It's really, there's physical symptoms, there's behavioral, there's uh, learning and intellectual signs and symptoms that can kind of all together point to fetal alcohol uh, spectrum disorders. But a lot of them mirror other things like you mentioned, ADHD, ADHD and um, ODD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And autism and a lot of, um, so one of the questions that I had, and I would love to hear you talk about is, are the, the, um, strategies for say, for example, autism, do they also work with a child who has fetal alcohol spectrum disorders? And I'll give you an example. Um, if you had a child who's diagnosed with autism, and then you use the um, ABA, Applied Behavioral Analysis, where they have all these data to show that it, it works with children with autism. Does it also help um, the, the, the things, the conditions that are going on with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders? So I'm just a parent with lived experience. I'm not a mm -hmm. medical professional, but mm -hmm. from what from the people that I've, you know, the clinicians that I've interviewed, the people that I've spoken with, they've given me this analogy, which I think is a good way to explain to parents. Um, autism, ADHD are caused from genetic. They're, they're, the cause is based in genetic. So therefore, the applications, the interventions, the medications are going to be effective because, you know, it addresses this, you know, intervention, whatever. Um, with FASD, it's brain damage caused from prenatal alcohol exposure. And with that is inconsistency in that brain damage. Mm -hmm. And I, I can share from personal experience, um, one day your child may be able to remember or do something, and the next day they may not be able to. It's kind of like the movie Groundhog Day, where one day mm -hmm. you do everything the same, but one day you have a different outcome, and the next day mm -hmm. you have a completely different outcome. The reason mm -hmm. being is because what has happened is brain damage. And just like, you know, brain damage from a lived experience where you're going to see different effects one day to the next, yeah. you're going to have that with prenatal alcohol exposure. So something like ABA, while it's an amazing and an effective intervention for autism, it's not going to really be applicable to a child that has an FASD because 
again, you're trying to use an intervention that was meant for a condition caused by genetic uh, difference mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on a condition that one child's exposure from you know prenatal alcohol exposure, yeah. which could be different again from another child's exposure. So, sure. you mm-hmm. know, so maybe one child might respond a little positively to it, but then another child yeah. you know may not. Yeah. And it's the same thing with medication. You know, yeah. um, you can't use medication to treat brain damage. You can use it for symptoms, which there's actually an FASD algorithm, which is, um, you know, the clinicians who have developed it and studied it, it, it is, it can be very helpful to help with certain primary characteristics. Like ADHD, would you say like hyperactivity? Well, it's not necessarily the ADHD medications because those medications, you know, with um, ADHD, it is a dopamine deficit in the brain caused by Mm -hmm. genetic mutation. But with FASD, the dopamine deficit is caused from the prenatal alcohol exposure. So it's like like brain damage, like you've said several times. It's different. Yeah, yeah. so, 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 yes, in that algorithm, there are medications that do address the attention, the hyperactivity, um, but they may not be the same medications that are used, Mm -hmm. you know, traditionally for, um, you know, children that have a a diagnosable ADHD caused by, you know, uh, genetics. So um, yes, those symptoms are addressed. And again, I can also give you a link for people to look up that. And if you Mm -hmm. have a clinician, you know, who is informed about the FASD algorithm, um, the medication, that can be very helpful. But again, I am talking, you know, as a parent with lived experience. Um, For our family, I can say that really the best thing that we have done to address those types of characteristics and symptoms is really change our expectations and meet our son where he's at and make accommodations so that we're, you know, chronologically he's up here and, you know, we were shooting for up here, but now we need to meet him where he's at. And, um, can, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that takes practice. I mean, you know, we, Mm -hmm. we've only had his diagnosis for four years and we're still learning a lot, you know? Yeah. 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 Like a a lot of things that I've found in my years of, of both parenting my own kids, but also the others who've come and gone and then talking with hundreds of foster parents over the years. Um, I think as much of it is about training the parents as it is anything else, everything from expectations. I mean, when you're talking uh, with someone whose child suffers from reactive attachment disorder, um, you have to change your expectations. You can't, you know, and, and I was just talking to somebody today where, you know, I think it's a, it's a real, um, huge and hard shift for a parent to make. There is grief associated with it. Mm -hmm. Um, when you come to terms where you're, you're able to recognize and say, I'm grateful we have this diagnosis. It makes everything make sense. <laughs> All these things that didn't make sense before now make sense. And there's a, there's some sort of a liberation in that I find personally, um, But it also, then there's a grief that goes, oh, all the hopes we had that this was eventually going to sort itself out, it's never going to sort itself out. And so, yeah. And and it happens at stages too. You know, that grief Mm -hmm. that we had when our son was little and then when we got the diagnosis and now he's 19 and all of his friends have launched and gone on to, you know, college Mm -hmm. or the military or working and he's still doing what he was doing, you know, before he, he finished homeschool. Mm-hmm. It's a slower, and, and we address that, um, my co-author Cindy LaJoy and I address that in our book, which I'll show up yeah, again. Yeah, show me, show me the book, yeah, yeah. Video, and I'll send the link. Um, yes, please called, do. Um, Blazing New Homeschool Trails, uh, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities. We have a whole mm-hmm. chapter devoted to FASD, and we talk about yeah. both Cindy's journey as a mom of five you know, three of them have FASD and then our journey and how we homeschool differently. And mm-hmm. honestly, the trainings that, you know, my husband and I participated in the books, just everything that we've participated in and you, you 
totally hit it right on the head, Christy, when you said you really, as the parent caregiver, you have to change your, your strategies, Mm -hmm. your Mm -hmm. expectations, and you have to allow yourself to grieve at different stages, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and it's going to continue on, you know, it's a lifelong diagnosis. So Mm -hmm. they're going to, and grieving at, you know, when your child's chronologically 19 looks much different than when they were two, you know, so um, you have to allow that. And then, you know, uh, for us and for our family, we just really, we hold on to our faith and we let our faith, you know, and God carry us through. Mm -hmm. And we know that, um, by our speaking about what we're going through, um, hopefully other families will not feel as alone, you know, as, yeah. as we do on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. And with my audience being largely foster parents or people considering becoming foster parents, I feel like I want to say, and I think I said this in the video. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. You know, not every child in foster care is going to deal with this and maybe not even most of the children we've had, I, you know, close to 20 kids over the years. And I would say probably, yeah, like probably half of them showed really strong signs of some of those symptoms of, of fetal alcohol. Um, but a lot of it, it's so interesting because a lot of it, before I knew much about FASD, I attributed everything to trauma, everything to trauma and attachment. And, um, and then over time, stuff started getting attributed to autism. We had a few kids who were, you know, over time diagnosed with autism. And yet I will say autism and trauma do not explain a lot of what we've seen in some of the kids that we've had. And that's where I feel like foster parents really need a lot more education, which is why you're here, why I'm here, um, to say that, you know, um, people will give you a diagnosis, ADHD, ODD, autism spectrum disorder, um, executive function disorder. I mean, I, you know, I've also got long lists and, um, and those explain pieces of it, but, but it's not the whole spectrum. Diagnosis. No. Right. And FASD mm-hmm. actually explains the whole thing. <laughs> like right. All of the right. above. Yeah. Those are part of the diagnosis, but it's not the actual diagnosis. And the way someone, um, you know, another parent explained to me beautifully was, you know, saying ADHD or something else like that. It's accurate, but it's mm-hmm. not complete. It's right. not the complete. Right. It's not the cause. Right. Um, and yeah. then also, when you're talking about um, autism and when you're talking about um, foster care and, and trauma, um, FASD is prenatal trauma. So that's trauma mm-hmm. that happened mm-hmm. before. When you yes. take that, so a couple of clinicians beautifully explained it to me on on, on our podcast how FASD and lived trauma looks like in a child. So if you have, for example, you and I, we were kind of having issues with connecting, you know, from my computer. Um, So I was using one of my computers that was not Mm -hmm. able to connect our, our, our video. So think of FASD as the hardware, and in a computer, we use computers all the time for, for connecting and talking. So FASD is the hardware that has been either, you know, damaged or there's a difference in it. Now using, you know, the software that we're using to talk right now, which is Skype, now installing the software on a computer that has a difference, that has brain damage, that has hardware damage, you're not going to get the same emotions, the same experiences. Functionality. Functioning. Exactly. Thank you. I was Mm -hmm. looking for Yeah. So you think of lived trauma from, you know, uh, being in foster care, from having a traumatic household, that's the software. And then, but you, in order to address that, you have to get down to what happened beforehand, which Mm -hmm. is the polysubstance exposure, the alcohol exposure. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and address that first, and then you yes. can address yes. the trauma in a way that is going to, you know, best function for that child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is so interesting. And yeah, there's just, I think it's so important for people to be familiar with this because as children do come and go through their homes or come and stay in their homes, um, knowing what to look for, knowing the ways to find, you know, help early on and not to be satisfied with the quick diagnoses. Um, yeah. because I know for us, um, 
you know, we've had experiences where we were, they were, they were quick diagnoses without the real deep dive. And they, again, explained some, but not all of what the children, you know, specific children that I'm thinking of were dealing with. And um, it took a lot of education to really get to the point of realizing what, what, like when I would talk to friends, for example, who had children with, on the autism spectrum, things that were working for their kids just weren't working in our house. So, um, it's, it's important for, for folks to understand that. And, um, and to have hope though, as you said, and I, I love the name of your organization because this is a pretty bleak diagnosis, especially like fetal alcohol syndrome. Some of the more extreme iterations of FASD, it's it can be kind of bleak, and I love that you call it hope because we, there is hope. We, yeah, we did that on purpose because mm-hmm. hope is a word that you don't hear with FASD, you know. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to change that conversation. And I can tell you honestly, coming from a very vulnerable place, still, you know, last week, you know, last month, we still have very um, hard places where we're like, oh how are we going to get through this? You know, just like, you know, for the past 19 years and Mm -hmm. we had hope, you know, we, we have hope and you need to have that on this journey. I can't imagine, you know, not having faith and not having hope on this journey because, um, it can be very dark and it can be very lonely. And Mm -hmm. that was, you know, one of our mission, you know, our mission is three prong is to provide awareness about FASD, to provide resources through our podcast, mm-hmm. through our website, through the, our book. And then I think most importantly is to provide hope and inspiration. You know, um, my favorite interviews are with those adults who have FASD themselves who have gone on to become authors or become, you know, um, you know, they have a beautiful family and they have supports or they're an artist or, you know, um, those are my favorite interviews because as a mom of a 19 year old that has an FASD and when you hear the, the horrible statistics that everybody knows about talking to those individuals that are well past that age of, you know, where you can let go of your breath for a little bit because you're holding on to your breath thinking, okay, just, you know, let's get through this stage and this stage. When you talk to those adults and they say, I'm on the other end of it. And I can tell you, you know, either, you know, it's going to be okay. Um, those, those interviews to me are, I think the ones that give me the most hope. They are so life giving. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'd love to ask you um, a little, this is getting into some vulnerable territory too. So if this is too personal, you know, I have struggled and I have talked with others who have struggled with a surprising amount of, of anger and bitterness toward mothers uh, of children who they are raising. So their children (laughs) who, who received this, you know, this damage because of choices from their mom. And, um, I wonder if forgiveness has been a part of your journey or your son's journey, if it's something that he's had to wrestle with. It is very complicated to put it mildly because, um, you know, when he realized that what happened to all of him was a result of, and, you know, I, I hear you saying choices, but I think many women may not have even realized mm. they had a choice. Fair enough. You Fair know, enough. Important I mean, point. Not, yes. But many women, you know, who are pregnant, mm. you know, especially when we think about, you know, how, how the, the, you know, the damage of alcohol and illicit drugs um, has, does, you know, throughout the development, it's like the, the earliest, you know, when you don't think you're pregnant, um, that's when, you know, (laughs) a lot of the damage, damage, especially to that brain that's growing. Um, so when our son was first diagnosed, there was a lot of anger. Um, there, he still has anger. Um, I think some points, you know, depending on the, depending on the day, um, he, he has forgiveness. 
Um, he, but, but then again, when he struggles, you know, he, um, it's very difficult for him. Um, I think his, so his, um, I think most challenging, um, issue with anger is that, and this happens with, I'm kind of glad you bring up anger with kids and adults, anyone that has an FASD, Anger is very easily, can be very easily triggered because of the, you know, they, when you have a child that becomes angry because they're stuck in something, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, they're perseverating on something and they can't have that. Um, it's really difficult for them to get out of that state until their brain allows them to. It's almost like a, the way a doctor, um, well-renowned FASC diag- um, diagnosis clinician, she's just an amazing doctor. The way she explained to me was like, it's almost like a limbic, um, a limbic rage is almost like, like a seizure where oh, their wow. mind is stuck in anger. So depending on, you know, so angry at birth mother, angry at, you know, mom and dad, angry at whomever, when you're stuck in that anger and your brain won't let you out of it, you have to approach it almost in the way you would approach a seizures. Okay. Let them be safe. Let them, you know, and I can tell you, um, you know, when our son was 13, 14, just before his diagnosis, even 15, shortly before his diagnosis, he punched a lot of walls. He kicked a lot Mm -hmm. of doors. You know, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. anger comes yeah. out, yeah, especially with those hormones and the dismaturity mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. Anger mm-hmm. now looks much different that he's older, you know. Um, yeah. But, yes, there is a lot of anger in there. Um, the way, again, there there are so many wonderful organizations, nonprofits, um, universities, books. Just there are resources out there that can help parents, foster parents, you know, adoptive parents understand, you know, how the brain functions and what to do in that anger. You know, um, again, the way this doctor explained it to me was like, it's almost like, um, with anger, um, the child becomes almost like the incredible Hulk where they're in this state and they just can't get out of it. And they don't realize what happened. And, and they actually don't even remember in many instances, you know, our son just didn't remember what happened when he was angry. And then, you know, just like the incredible Hulk, when he comes back into being Dr. Banner, he's just like, what did I do? What happened? And does it happen like on a dime sometimes? Can it flip really quick? It, really it quickly? can, it can. Um, most of the time, you know, especially when, after you understand how the brain functions, you can understand triggers. So mm-hmm. we understand our son's triggers and then triggers on top of that. So say, you know, you have a bad day and, and uh, you know, we homeschool. So, um, but thinking about like a child that's in, you know, a regular school, um, it, you have a bad day at school and then, you know, kids are noisy on the bus ride home, you know, and then you come home and you get bombarded with 20 questions by your mom or dad, and then you have to do homework. And so like, it just kind of piles on. So Mm -hmm. we may think, boom, it's instantaneous, but there could be a lot of things. However, though, we have, you know, we have seen, you know, that it can be instantaneous. And when, again, when that happens, um, knowing the root of the anger and knowing what to do. And then especially after it happens, after there's time for everybody to de- decompress, knowing mm-hmm. how to go back and say, okay, this is what happened. This is how we accommodate. This is how we learn from this experience. And this is how, again, I go back to that word accommodate. How, how do you mm-hmm. accommodate? You know, if it's perseveration, how do you address it or redirect it to say, you know, okay, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. That's so helpful. So good. You know, I love that so much of what you're doing about in your advocacy and education, I love that it is, you know, addressing stigmas, but also kind of being very forthright and and honest about these things and, um, and trying to elevate, you know, hope and expectations going forward. I think it's just wonderful. And, um, and I hope, and I expect that you're going to encourage a lot of people in this episode. So, um, I want to get to a couple of questions that I got from viewers who posted on, I put it on my Facebook page that I was going to be speaking with someone, um, about 
about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, and I just have a couple of questions, which we may have already gotten into. Um, once this is diagnosed, what are the best therapies and treatments? And uh, she says, I'm assuming there are plenty of adults who have led successful lives, you mentioned that, who have this diagnosis, and I'd love to hear from them if possible. So what are the therapies and treatments? So uh, that is a big discussion in the FASD community. Oftentimes you get a diagnosis and there's really, it's not like with ADHD or autism where it's like, okay, well, we're going to do this standard of treatment or anything. It's many instances, parents like ourselves were like, okay, what do you do? Um, learning about how the brain functions when it Mm -hmm. has been exposed to alcohol is important. I would highly recommend, um, as a starter, just to learn about FASD, the book that I mentioned, trying differently rather than harder by Diane Malbin, and also Mm -hmm. the organization that does the training. So you can learn about, um, how to parent or care, give a child that has an FASD it's called facets, F-A-S-C-E-T-S dot org. Um, but learning, doing a brain-based approach in your, your parenting, your caregiving, and in part of the facets training accommodations, again, meeting at the developmental age, changing mm-hmm. expectations, that's all addressed mm-hmm. as part of the training. Um, okay. There are therapies that that are definitely helpful and walk alongside with, you know, a child teen, adolescent, things like occupational therapy can help, speech therapy, um, you know, there are other uh, therapies that can help. I, I would say, again, though, it really depends on knowing how your your child's brain works. So getting mm-hmm. that, you know, once you get that diagnosis and they say, okay, the, this is where you need the most supports, this is where you see strengths, then kind of going from there. So it really is individualized, but, you know, yeah. if, if if there is a clinic, if there is, um, you know, an FASD clinic, um, FASD support groups that can recommend people, I definitely would say just, you know, first get that diagnosis, find out where you need the most strengths and supports. And then, you know, you can visit FASDhope.com. We list um, organizations by state. We list, you know, clinics and things like that. We're always building and adding on to our website, too. But, again, um, also nofas.org and um, another great um, nonprofit. It, it's Proof Alliance. Um, they're based out okay. of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And they're a wonderful mm-hmm. organization, too. So, yes, um, yes. Yeah. I've read things on their website as well um, in yeah. my research. And... Yeah, I'll I'll be listing all of the all of the things that you've mentioned. I'll list them in right. the show notes in the information box below. Um, so, okay, um, this is one more question: preparing for life past childhood, homeschool versus public school. Also, I'd love to know more about the diagnostic process. You got into that already. Um, uh, we yeah, we covered this. So, but yeah, life past childhood. So, so you talked so, about different expectations. Yeah. Sure. So first of all, we actually, we started our son off um, in regular school. You know, we tried private, we tried hybrid, we tried public. Um, we ended up homeschooling as an accommodation. I'm so familiar with everything you're saying. That's why I'm laughing. I'm just like, yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes, we tried it all. Um, and, and for us, homeschool was an accommodation, you know, and it, and it really allowed us to meet our son where he was at. And then we also learned that he, you know, loved and, and did very well in carpentry, you know. So um, we were able to learn his strengths as we homeschooled. Um, there is actually on Facebook a wonderful group for homeschoolers of, of children that have FASD. It's called Homeschooling the FASD Way. Um, wow. Cindy LaJoy, who's the co-author of this book with me, she runs, it's called Blue Collar Homeschooling. It's an 11,000 plus member um, wow. organi- Facebook group and website for um, kids and teens who are not meant down a traditional you know, academia path after wow. school. So um, that's where I would definitely say, you know, our book can be helpful in, in you know, sharing our journeys so mm-hmm. you learn how to reinvent, kind of like how I had to reinvent, you know, my career mm-hmm. into this calling. Um, mm-hmm. You reinvent paths for your teens, young adults, so that they can, you know, thrive and they can hopefully have a, a meaningful life. Um 
it, it really looks different. A concept that we talk about in our book that I think is important for um, parents and caregivers to understand is something called interdependence. Mm. FASD mm -hmm. is a developmental disability, meaning that, um, you know, I many um, teens and young adults that have a, a developmental disability will need supports when they are a chronological you know, chronologically an adult, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, FASD, especially included. So our example, and I can give you our lived example was, um, about four years ago, we moved from a lovely suburb, uh, in, in just outside of, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina to about an hour from, from where we were living to a very rural area in, in North Carolina. We, we live on a farm access road. We have nothing but farms on our road. Um, wow. But we have a little tiny chunk of property. Our son is able to, you know, ride his dirt bike, go on his UT, uh, ATV. Um, and we also have a space for him. I know we, we were talking before we started recording. My husband, my daughter, and I, we live on one side of the house. And he has kind of like this finished apartment above our garage. And it gives him interdependence. So, mm -hmm. you know, when he needs, you know, food or needs to use the laundry or you just needs mom and dad or just, you know, wants to be with us, he comes down. But then, you know, he has his own space. He has mm -hmm. his own place. Mm -hmm. um, we also hope to take uh, we have a detached workshop and we hope to convert that into a tiny house for him someday in the near future. Okay so that mm -hmm. he has his own space. So again, mm -hmm. interdependence, launching looks different for every adult mm -hmm. that has a developmental disability. So again, knowing your child and how they're going, how they're going to launch, if they're going to launch or launching may look different. You know, um, what Cindy did with her family was they actually, their last year homeschooling, they created a business from drywall on out they created a pizza and ice cream business um, wow. so that her three children that had FASD could work and they intentionally hire, you know, adults, uh, young adults that have developmental disabilities. And wow. it actually was voted, it's in Montrose, uh, Colorado. It's called Buckaroo Slices and Scoops. And they were actually voted last year the best pizza and ice cream place in their town of wow. Montrose. And wow. so her journey, the way we did it um, was our son, Apprentice, did a one-on-one -on -one apprenticeship to learn carpentry and woodworking. So mm -hmm. ours was very different, much smaller scale than hers. But what we share are both examples of how, like you said, Christy, you really have to change as a parent, as a caregiver. You have to change yeah. your expectation, your trajectory to say, okay, mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. am I going to best support, you know, this, this young adult, this teen, this young adult that has yeah. this development disability. That's so good. That's so good. What great advice and just giving people a real practical idea of what, you know, what it might look like. And, um, I want to end on a positive note. Tell me of the, some of the things that you love most about your son and, um, and about other people that you've come into contact with who have fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Tell us the awesome things about them. Creative, very creative, um, fun, spontaneous. Um, our son is very loyal. He's very loving. He does not go by what the world goes by. He goes by what he goes by. And we love him for that. Um, you know, the individuals that I've interviewed, amazing, strong, um, overcomers, I would say. <clears throat> um, and again, very creative, you know, um, there are, um, many different brain-based diagnoses where, you know, something has been affected, but something else is almost like a superpower. And I can honestly say, and, and that everybody that I've met who, um, you know, who, I've, whom I've interviewed, who has an FASD, um, or brain-based diagnoses has that example of having this amazing gift that I think God has put in, you know, these individuals. And I think it's up to us to find that treasure mm -hmm. that's in them mm -hmm. and to help them to say, you know, you have many gifts and this is one of them and 
Yeah. Let's let it shine. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and our son is very funny. Very funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. Wonderful. Well, I want to give one more plug for your book, uh, Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities by Natalie Vecchioni and Cindy LaJoy. You can get that on Amazon. I will also include a link below and I'll put that in my recommended resources. Also, I'll get myself a copy and um, uh, I love building up a library for people, especially of books that they might not have come across. I've been in this for seven years and I've never heard of it. So I'm really excited to promote this for you. Um, yeah. So you've been listening to my conversation with Natalie Vecchioni to learn more about her work with FASD hope, visit FASDhope.com. If you like a fostered life podcast, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you access your favorite podcasts. So you don't miss a single episode. And if you're enjoying this resource, please consider becoming a patron of a fostered life on patreon.com slash a fostered life. If you do, you'll get additional resources, content each week. That's created just for patrons for more information and resources for foster parents, visit a where you'll find blog posts, recommended reading, YouTube videos, and social media links, all intended to help foster parents feel more equipped for their journey as a foster parent. One more thing. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to uh, rate it on iTunes. If you're listening on iTunes, go in and give it uh, your rating. Even if you don't like it, rate it because any kind of rating helps me. Even if you just give it one star, but I prefer the five star ratings, <laughs> but uh, be honest. Um, and also if you're watching on YouTube, click that thumbs up so that I know that you are enjoying this content. It would help me out so much. Thanks for listening. And thanks for caring about foster care. And Natalie, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Christy.